Would you pray with me, church? God, thank you for um, the ministry of worship, for all of, all of those who have gathered to allow this moment to be possible. God, that we could sing that you are the King of Israel, that you are the King of your people. God, we're going to consider that from your word now. Um, what a, what a, a divine alignment of, of music and message this morning. God, we pray that you would open our hearts um, to see the beautiful things in your word and chiefly to, to behold Christ in your word, that we might better glorify him, that we might better honor him with our lives. And God, that we would have hope in, a, in an otherwise hopeless world, in a, in a year that has been uh, in many ways not what we expected, in many ways discouraging, that we would be reminded afresh that for the believer we have every reason to have hope because Jesus Christ the King has come. We give you praise today, in Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you'd go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word, uh, I'd be grateful for that. Uh, I do have some announcements that I'm going to save for the the end of the service, Uh, but for now we want to dive into God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll go all the way down through verse 38. So if you're paying attention to the screen I modified the message on Saturday, and not all the text is there. So if you've got your Bible with you today, you might want to look in your Bible rather than at the screen, because you're going to get to 33, and I'm going to keep reading. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Hear now the word of God. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept wondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be Great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Those verses, 32 and 33, will be the the focus of most of the message this morning, but I want to continue down through 38. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. We teach world history largely as a series of stories about the rise and fall of kingdoms. I'll never forget 10th grade world history. You know, there was uh, the Assyrians, there was the Kush, there was all these different uh, communities, there were all these different civilizations. We studied their cultures and their language and their architecture and their buildings, and it was, it was all quite fascinating. But at the end of the day, one civilization would rise and then it would fall. One kingdom would rise, and then it would fall. The Bible is really a story about the rise and the fall of kingdoms. We 
Learn about the rise of King David over the kingdom of Israel, a united kingdom of Israel. And there's, they're, they're an expansive territory and there's, there's peace. But then Assyria began to emerge as a world power and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were divided. And so there was the king of Judah and there was the king in the northern kingdom. And slowly but surely as Israel got began to be picked off by rival world powers, Assyria overtook Israel's northern kingdom. And then Assyria began to decline and Babylon emerged as a rival power and overthrew Assyria. And then King Nebuchadnezzar II and the Babylonians overthrew Assyria. And then they destroyed Solomon's temple and exiled the remaining Jewish people in Jerusalem out to Babylon. This is all recorded for you in the Old Testament. Later, the the Medes and the Persians overthrew Babylon, and strangely enough, God raised up King Cyrus to write an edict that said the Jews could go back to Jerusalem, and they could build the wall, and they could rebuild the temple. The Bible's a story of the rise and fall of kingdoms. Between the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament, came the rise and the fall of yet more kingdoms. The rise of Greece. The fall of Greece. The rise of Rome. In the history of the world, there have been many kingdoms. But the Scriptures tell us that there's only one kingdom that will last forever. It's not the United States of America. It's not any human kingdom contrived in human power. It is only the kingdom of God. The kingdom of His beloved Son the Lord Jesus Christ. God had promised His people that they would be citizens of a kingdom that would endure forever. A kingdom that would come about in the most unusual of ways. He would send a son through the Hebrew people. And it would be a very particular son. A son who would come through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not just Jacob, but Judah, not just Judah, but the line of David. That there would be kings who would come from the line of David and there would be a king whose throne would never be conquered, who would reign forevermore. But at the time we read this story, Rome is in power. The Hebrew people are in Jerusalem, some of them. There's a a temple that's a shadow of the glorious first temple of Solomon standing But the Hebrew people are subjects of Rome and it's been centuries since there has been a Davidic king on a throne ruling over God's people. So when Gabriel walks into Mary and the the language is that he comes into some sort of room, if you can imagine being young Mary and angel Gabriel, not just any angel, but Gabriel walks in with a heavenly announcement. All seems lost. The promises of God seem that they're bankrupt. It seems that God has failed to keep His promise. And then Gabriel walks in and says, God is doing what He said He was going to do. God is about to keep His promise. The Son of God is coming. The King is coming. And He's going to come through you. And Mary says, how in the world could this be possible? I love verse 37. For with God, nothing is impossible. While all the other kingdoms of the world will fall, Christmas means that hope is here because the promised King has come and His kingdom is forever. Do you see that in verse 33? It has no end. The King has come, church. 
and his kingdom will not end. Verse, the first thing I want to want you to see from this passage today, again, really focusing in on verses 32 and 33, is that we need to understand that hope is here, and to, to have that hope, we've got to understand that Jesus is the Son and the King that God promised to send. We're not looking for any other King. The King has come. The famous baseball catcher Yogi Berra once quipped, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. If you think about that for a moment, you'll laugh. <laughs> it is tough to make predictions about the future because by definition a prediction is, is about the future and you don't know what's going to happen. But you know what? It's not tough for God to make predictions about the future. And, and the Old Testament gets it right about Jesus 100% of the time. And the reason that it does is because the Bible is not just a book written by men. It's written by men inspired by the Holy Spirit who is writing one story out of all the stories about the great God and King who was going to enter into time and space and introduce His rule and His reign and rescue all who would trust in Him. The Bible is God's book and it perfectly reveals to us God's Son. I want to pause here for just a moment and say... One thing that blows my mind is the number of people who reject Jesus without considering how incredibly accurate the Old Testament projects who he would be. I don't know how you read the New Testament about someone who came and was said to have lived and to have died and people gave their lives for the truth that he was raised from the dead and not give the Bible honest consideration. I mean, people just write it off like it's some other book, like it's some other religious teaching, it's some other writing. This book and this writing and the claims that it makes are historically verifiable. There are people who gave their lives for the truth of the gospel. And if you sit there and you sneer at it, you snicker at it, and you dismiss it, you're doing it to your own demise because the Bible predicts for us who Jesus would be, and then Jesus comes as king and fulfills it. At least consider it before you dismiss it and write it off. When God sends Jesus, He sends us exactly who He promised to send. Though King David would die, there would be a son who would conquer death and would rule and reign forever. We read about this son in 1 Chronicles 17 and in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The language is very similar. If you'd like to turn, turn over to 2 Samuel 7, you can. I'm going to read several verses from there, beginning in around verse 11. The Lord says this in 2 Samuel 7. I have been with you, meaning David, wherever you've gone and cut off your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name. Now David's about to die, and he says, I'm going to make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, this is verse 12, I will raise up your seed after you. In other words, you're going to have a son somewhere down the line who's going to be raised up. That's resurrection language, interestingly enough. He will come forth from you, and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for My name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. And I will be a father to Him, and He will be a son to Me. So David's going to have a seed, or a son, who's going to come from his line, and the father is also going to have a son. This son will be David's son, and it will be God's son. Sounds a lot like Jesus, does it not? Doesn't it sound a lot like what Gabriel's telling us? In verses 32 and 33, Gabriel says Jesus' name will be great, and the Lord promised David a great name. Gabriel says Jesus will be Son of the Most High, and the Lord who is the Most High says back in 2 Samuel 7, He will be a Son to me. Gabriel says Jesus will have a throne 
the throne of his father David in verse 33. The Lord says he will establish the throne of David's seed. Gabriel says Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The Lord tells David his son's reign will be forever. Gabriel tells us Jesus will rule over a kingdom. The Lord tells David that his son will rule over a kingdom. Jesus is the king that we've been looking for. And somehow, David's son will be God's son. We covered that last week about how Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And this this son and king will be king of an unstoppable kingdom. But you need to understand that this promise from God doesn't just magically appear when David is suddenly king of Israel. God God is bigger than that. He's greater than that. He writes writes an even more impressive story. He didn't wait for David to become king of Israel defying all the odds, being rescued out of slavery, this little ragamuffin tribe, exiled, coming out of the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and then they become this great country with this King David. God doesn't wait for that moment to say that there's going to be a forever king on a forever throne over God's people. No, all the way back in Genesis, He makes this promise. Abraham. You remember Abraham? He's justified by faith. He believes that God will give him a son to rescue nations. In Genesis 17, God says this to, to Abram. It's, it's a little part of the promise that sometimes we miss. God says this, I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. And then we keep reading. We get to Genesis 49 and we learn that it's, it's not just going to be kings from any of his sons, but it's going to be through Jacob. And then it's going to be, you know, Jacob had a lot of sons, right? It's going to be through his son Judah. And Judah's going to have a son who will have the scepter. And the scepter will never depart from his hand. The scepter is the sign of his rule and his reign. And he will reign forever. So even in Genesis, the book of beginnings, God says, I'm sending to you a son and a king, and this is how he's going to come. That's who Jesus is. But it's not just in Genesis, and it's not just in the prophets. We even read about this king in the Psalms, in Psalm 2. It's a great psalm, one of my favorite psalms. It explains so much about our world today. It says, The nations rage against God and His anointed, His anointed King. But then it promises us that there will be some people who recognize who Jesus is. They recognize His authority. They recognize that He is Lord, that He's God, that He's King, that we have rebelled against Him, but He is making a way for us to trust and receive Him. They will kiss the Son, Psalm 2 says. And they will enjoy His reign forever. In Psalm 110, which was referenced many times throughout the book of Hebrews, we learn that this son will be a king ruling from God's city of Zion. The prophet Isaiah foresees the coming of a child who will be a king forever. It's such a familiar Christmas passage. Isaiah chapter 9, Unto us a child is born. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon His shoulders And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal, the passion of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God's passion for the glory of His Son will accomplish this. This. Gabriel 
has come to announce to us and to to Mary that the zeal of the Lord, the passion of the Lord for the glory of His name and the glory of His Son and the good of people who will recognize Jesus as the King, it is in full effect. Do you see in verse 34, God will overshadow, the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary. This is an infrequently used word in the Old Testament. The overshadowing happens when the tabernacle construction back in the Old Testament in Exodus is finally completed. And then we're told that the glory of God, the glory cloud of God overshadowed that tabernacle. And the glory of God with His people was restricted to that place. You remember that? Wherever the people went, they would pick up the tent posts and they would move the tabernacle and the glory of God would be over there in the tabernacle and only the priest could go into the tabernacle and really be close to the glory of God. And here's what, here's what the angel is telling to, to you and to me and to Mary, that the glory of God is no longer going to be confined to a place. The glory of God is being made available in the person of His Son, the Prince of Peace. And because the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who conceived Christ in Mary, will give you new life on the inside when you surrender your life to this King, you can know the glory of God as you come into a church building, as you go out of a church building, while you're driving in your car, when you're at work, when you're in the mundane, when you're in the glorious, whether your team won or lost last night, you can know and behold the glory of God because your sins are forgiven because the King has Come, He overshadowed Mary so that He might overshadow you and know that He is the King of glory. But it's not enough to know, church, that the King has come. Hope is available because the King has come. Kingdoms are rising and falling. World history is progressing and and there's the United Nations and there's the Council of Men and there's Congress and there's Capitol Hill and it all seems so important right now but one day on the lens of world history, the stage of world history, it's going to seem so inconsequential because there's only one king whose government will never end and it's the government and the rule and the reign of Christ our King. Are you in the kingdom? Are you in the kingdom? Do you know the joy of knowing this king? Because that's the second point this morning. We've got to enter God's family through faith in Jesus. Not everybody gets to enjoy the rule and the reign of King Jesus. You've got to bow your knee to Him now in order to enter His kingdom. Gabriel tells us in verse 32 that Jesus will be great. What's interesting is we're introduced, before we're introduced to Jesus, we're introduced to the character John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? He's going to be the the forerunner of the Lord. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And we're told that John the Baptist in verse 15 will be great in the sight of the Lord. In other words, it's qualified. He's, He's going to be great in God's sight. But Jesus is just going to be great. Do you see that in verse 32? You say, well, what's the significance of that? Jesus is great without qualification. He's just great. Jesus is God. He is the great I am. The unqualified greatness of God is likewise the unqualified greatness of Jesus. Nothing less than Jesus, our great God and Savior, can save us and give us forever with God. This is what Peter says 
The Spirit descends on the church and He preaches the Gospel and He says, there is salvation in no one else. Do you want forever life in a forever kingdom with a forever king where your sins are forgiven? You can only get that by surrendering your life to Jesus. The reason Jesus can save you forever is because He is not just a human son on a human throne. But verse 32 tells us He is the Son of the Most High. Seated on the forever throne of a forever kingdom established by God Himself. Most High is an exclusive name for the one true God. It emphasizes His his majesty and His supremacy overall. If something is Most High, what is higher than it? Nothing, because it's Most High. This is why God is called Most High. You can't get any higher than Him. He is overall, and Jesus is the Son of the Most High. He has a full share in what is God's. He's not just the Son of God. He is God the Son. He sits and He reigns and He rules where God does. In Micah 4-7, God is said to have an eternal rule over Zion. And Jesus, we see in the New Testament, now sits on the throne of the kingdom in the heavenly Zion. As we learned in Hebrews, the installation of Jesus as King comes through His resurrection from the dead and His ascension to the right hand of of the Father. Of course, Jesus, as God, was already king, right? I mean, he's God. He's, he's king. So, in what sense does he become king? In what sense does he become appointed king? In this way, he came down out of the glory of heaven to assume and take upon, our, upon himself our humanity so that he could live the life that we should have lived and didn't, die the death that we deserve to die but now don't have to, and be raised up to offer that same resurrection life to any who will trust in him. In other words, how were we going to be in his kingdom? We had no way to be in his kingdom unless he became a man. And so he came and ran the race and he finished it well. And in that sense, he has been raised up as the the human divine king who welcomes all to trust in him and enjoy his kingdom. Do you see in verse 33 that Jesus' reign is over the house of Jacob? You say, what, what does that mean? Well, Jacob... Right was the son of Isaac, who gets us to Judah, who eventually gets us to David, who eventually gets us to King Jesus. The, the house of Jacob is the, is the house of Israel. And what, what the Scriptures are telling us is that only the people of God, only the people who belong to the son of promise that comes through Jacob's line can enjoy the reign of Jesus. Now here... Here's something important to note. It's not saying that only Hebrews can have a share in the kingdom of God. In fact, quite the opposite. Hebrew DNA does not give you birthright to the kingdom of God. What what Gabriel is saying is you've got to come into God's house in the way that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ruth and Rahab did. Jacob didn't get into the kingdom because he was had the right DNA. He got into the kingdom even though he was a, a trickster. His name means supplanter and deceiver. But God in grace met him and he had faith in the promises of God that God would one day give a son. In fact, there's descendants of Jacob who won't be in the kingdom of God. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 9, right? They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. 
nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. In other words, just because you got the right dad, the right DNA, doesn't mean you get into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if your grandfather was a preacher, your great-grandfather was a preacher, your daddy was a preacher. It doesn't matter. What matters is have you bowed your knee to the promised Son of God. All who believe in Him will be saved. You say, even in the Old Testament, that's the way it worked? Yes, Galatians chapter 3. Paul says this, the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to who? To Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. Meaning blessed through Jesus. So not every son born in the line of Jacob had such faith. And not all the sons of Jacob are in the house of Jacob. But there is an invitation for you to come into God's house. You come into God's house by believing in Jesus Christ the King. When Jesus returns, and He's coming back, when He returns to judge sinners and renew all things, His kingdom will appear and it will endure forever. Isaiah 6 tells us about this day when the angels sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. There's coming a day when there will be no place on the planet that does not delight in the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ, God's King, our crucified and risen Savior. And when Jesus returns, every soul that has ever lived will bow his or her knee to this King. When Jesus returns, every soul that has ever lived will bow his or her knee to King Jesus. But the sad reality is this. For many, it's going to be too late. The invitation to bow your knee to the King is today. The opportunity to give your life to this King is now. We have every opportunity through His Word to see that Jesus is God's King, to see that we rebelled against His rule, and that nevertheless He came down to make a way for us to know and enjoy and serve Him. It is only those who lay down their pride in this life and turn from their sin and embrace Jesus as their everything now who get to enter into God's house, in the house of Jacob, if you will, and enjoy the kingdom of God forever. So I want to urge you, in this room and online, if you've not turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, stop trying to find hope in the failing kingdoms of this world and run to Jesus. Be cleansed of your sins. Be forgiven and enter the kingdom of God. Now for many of you in this room and for many of you listening online, you you might say this morning, well, Pastor Daniel, that's great. That's that's a good reminder. I know that Jesus is King and He he is my King and and I love Him and I have peace with God. My sins are forgiven. Thank you, Daniel, for that wonderful reminder. You're welcome. But I'm concerned. I'm concerned that the church has grown distracted. I'm concerned that we've forgotten who we serve. That we have one mission that really counts for eternity. We tell jokes about it. You can't, can't take it with you when you go. But the reality is, church, we... 
starting with your pastor, I think we, we invest our emotional time and energy and resources and sometimes even our finances and things that really, really just don't matter. You know, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples were staring up in the heavens and they were, wow. You remember what the angel said? He's coming back when He's coming back, but from now until then, you all need to get going. The Spirit didn't come down, so you'd sit around and just enjoy God's presence forever and do nothing. You have been given the Spirit of God and the presence of God to have new desires and dreams and ambitions. He reorients your entire life, your marriage, your parenting, your career towards a new goal. And the goal that we have is not just to know the King, but to serve our King. You see that in verse 38? Mary could have freaked out. Young, young Mary, I mean, some Bible scholars say she could have been 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And, a, and an angel walks in and says, this is what's going to happen? How can this be? I'm a virgin. I'd have had a lot more questions than that. That's the only question she had. And then once she gets a sufficient answer, do you see what she says in verse 38? Behold. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Mary is willing to be used by her king to bring her king to the world however is necessary. And in that way, we are called to be like Mary. We might be young, we might be old, we might be inexperienced, we we might feel inadequate, we might feel like Moses, like we're going to stutter and stammer when we get in front of people. We could never be used by God. God could never do something with us. But if God saved you, He saved you to serve the King. He doesn't save anybody to sit on a pew for 30, 40, 50 years and do nothing in the kingdom of God. He saves us all to be bond slaves of the King. In Psalm 67, 7, we are... We hear this, that we are blessed to know God's presence, to see His face, to enjoy His presence. Why? So that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. You've been saved to share the message of salvation. Even though Jesus has entered the heavens, He is nevertheless with us. Wherever the Spirit is, the Father and the Son are there. And the Father and Jesus have poured out the Holy Spirit to enable us to be a part of the building of the kingdom of God through the faithfulness of His church. In John 20, 21, Jesus is raised from the dead. The disciples are rejoicing. And Jesus says this, do you remember it? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Did you catch that church? Do you see the connection? Peace with God is for a purpose. We have peace with God, not just so we feel good on the inside and have rest. That's, that's wonderful. But we've been given peace with God so that we would worship Him and witness to Him without fear. When you have peace with God, when you know your sins are forgiven, you can do crazy things for the sake of our King. You can even die for the glory of Christ and have peace as you do it because you know that the resurrection is real through the blood of your King. Church, Jesus is the King. He's building His kingdom by sending us out at His authority to proclaim the good news that peace with God is possible, that sins can be forgiven, and that death is defeated because Jesus has come. Paul says it this way, we are ambassadors for Christ, begging you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. 
This week, I got news of one of my, one of my dear friends that I, I worked for at Virginia Tech. I learned of his passing. For three weeks, he fought COVID. And COVID took his life. He was a, a mentor, a great leader, a great friend. We spent a lot of time together on airplanes going to see alumni of Virginia Tech, the greatest secular university in the history of the world. <clears throat> Last night, when, uh, when it was nip and tuck against UVA, Samuel, uh, my son Samuel had heard this message, and I was very frustrated at the performance of the Hokies, and he goes, Dad, you just preached that no kingdom is forever except God's kingdom. Touche. This man was so smart. He was a theoretical physicist. Theoretical physicists ask really big questions. Why are we here? Where did we come from? How did it all start? We talked for four hours on a flight to California one time. And we got up to those big questions. Why? How? What? And his system started with the assumption that there can't be a God. And it didn't give him the answer to the questions. And the reality is, the Bible gives us the answer to the questions that, that vex our heart. And for four hours I shared the gospel. And at the end of that conversation, I said, why under that system of answering these ultimate questions, I don't know, I'm not sure, I can't answer that question, why wouldn't you consider that there is a God who has spoken, who made it all, the order that you see, the beginning that you see, even under your system, why wouldn't you consider God? And he says, Daniel, I just have to hope that there's a reason to have hope. Friends, there's a reason to have hope. And you don't have to hope that there's a reason to have hope. You don't have to face death and eternity hoping that there's something out there for you. There's something out there that's been revealed and it is Christ the King. And I, I traveled back from Raleigh to Blacksburg several times and we had lunch. And I, I begged my friend to trust in Jesus Christ the King. And I wish I could tell you that he did. But this morning, it could be different for you. For those who still have life and breath, there's still a chance to know the hope of being a citizen of a kingdom that will never end and of worshiping a king who will never fail you or disappoint you and having a mission and a purpose that extends from right here in Roanoke, Virginia to the ends of the earth. My friend had many Christians in his family. I have no idea what opportunities they had in his last few weeks. 
But I know that the opportunity for you is still here today to turn from your sin, to trust in Jesus, and know the joy of serving Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. If you don't know Him, if you don't have that hope, I invite you to come as we stand in just a moment and sing our final song. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank You that You were not silent. God, You didn't just make the world and, and leave us on our own. God, You didn't just allow us to, to have life and breath and then drop us off with no hope or no understanding of who You are. God, You, you wrote a perfect book that perfectly reveals Your plan and perfectly reveals Jesus Christ, the King and Savior. And God, You've told us how we can have life forever in the kingdom. And God, You've built us together and assembled us as a church to be ambassadors for the King. So God, I want to thank You that hope is here because Christ the King has come and hope is here because we have a, we have a Savior to serve and a, and a message to share. And God, I want to pray especially for the, the man or the woman that's in this room or online who says, God, I, I, I see clearly that Jesus is King, but I have not given my life to Him. I have not left behind my past and my sin and my guilt and my pain and regret and taken up a whole new way of living, and today is the day. And if that's, if that's your need, whether you're online or in this room, maybe you would want to pray something like this. God, I, I, I'm a sinner. I've said things and done things and thought things that displease you. God, I've been hurt. I've suffered. I've had struggles that I don't understand, that I can't make sense of. But I see in your word that, that you've made a way for me to, to be made a new person through faith in Jesus. So, so God, I, I want to I lay down my dreams, my hopes, my, my ambitions, and I, I want to give them all to you. And I, God, I want to tell you that I'm a sinner and, and I, I, I need forgiveness. And God, I want your forgiveness. I want you to clean my heart and let me know your glory. God, overshadow me with your glory. Let me know your presence. And then God, send me out however you would use me in my career, my job, my high school, wherever it is that you take me. God, use me in serving the King to share this great story that you are a God who's kept your promises. God, if there's anybody online or in this room who needs to, needs to let the world know that they belong to you, that they've trusted you today, I pray you'd give them the liberty to come. And God, if there's anyone in your church that says, I've been sitting on the sideline, I know the King, but I'm not serving the King, and I, I want to renew my commitment to serve the King, God, may they come. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.